1: Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to subscribe. Today's topic is mental health and dads with Ellie Weinstein. Ellie Weinstein is a social work therapist who has worked in a psych hospital, intensive outpatient clinic, and currently runs his own private practice in both New York and Nevada. Ellie is also the host of the Dude Therapist podcast. Ellie, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. I'm a dad of two little cuties. One is the Rickster, her name is Ricky, and little dude, which is Max, and my beautiful wife, Ariella. And I'm a therapist for about seven, eight years. And it all started my, my whole role of, of social media and really getting involved was when I became a dad. I had my first panic attack as a father, my first panic attack in my life. And it really opened my eyes to men's mental health, even though I knew that already in grad school as a practicing therapist, but it started opening my eyes to the ability to post share and be more vulnerable and open because you don't see that so often in the men's world as much as you do other things being posted and spoken about comparatively to the women's world where they are just Sharing and supportive and loving and compassionate in a lot of beautiful ways. So that's where it started. You know, with the do therapist podcast, which I'm so excited to have you on, and in my private practice, I work every day as a therapist.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. About may I ask what triggered your attack when you first? You can ask parents? anything. You can ask
2: okay. you know any question you want. But yeah, I believe that and I've been coming to terms with it recently of like coming like to the full thought process of it. I think when women are pregnant, they have nine months to kind of feel and grow with the baby to like conceptualize, I am growing a human life. And then when the baby's born, it's like, oh, you're here, but I've, I've, I'm connected to you. I've been feeling you. I've been your heartbeat, you're kicking, you're moving. For me, it was like, my wife's pregnant. I'm so separated from it, but I'm still excited. And then baby. It's like <laughs> yeah. you know, I, you know, with no connection other than the fact of hopes and dreams and wants and all those kind of exciting things. And I also believe that due to my daughter having an emergency C-section, it was just a lot of stuff. And there's actually a theory out there by this great therapist Dr. David Burns who talks about anxiety attacks or panic attacks. And there's a distinction between the two of them. One is more extreme and intense and short-lived, panic attacks, and one's more long where if you take all your stuff and you hide it underneath the rug, it's still there. Even though theoretically your room is clean, right? The stuff is hiding, right? The dirt is still existing. So when someone has a massive panic attack without any real trigger, it could be that now someone just like lifted the rug and the dust came out, and now your brain's like, oh man, here's everything. It's like that proverbial closet that you never want to open that everything falls out. Right. We all have that, or the, or the chair that I'm looking at right now, my room with all the clothes that we don't want to, you know, put away. Right. It's that kind of thing, which, which for me, it was no trigger. It was the middle of the night. I was sleeping and I woke up in a sweat at like two, three o'clock in the morning. Like I was dying. I thought I was dying and I needed help and I I took care of myself and it really opened my eyes to the realness of mental health for everyone.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, for, for me personally, I didn't realize that I had as much anxiety as I did until I became a parent. There's something about parenthood that really just flicks that switch. Especially for me, it was it was postpartum anxiety. But I often on this show and in social media in general, I always talk about maternal mental health. And today I want to talk about the dads. I want to talk about mental health and fathers. Can you share with me a little bit about how becoming a new father – affects men from a mental health standpoint.
2: I think it's the idea of our perspective and expectations. You know, if I ever write a book one day, which is a goal in the near 5 to 10 years if I can get my act together and get over my fears of writing, it is the idea I think that there's this this like triangle of truth or I call it the holy trinity of our perceptions and expectations and how it bases our reality. And I think that for a time being, it's very important that we learn how we show up to something with an expectation, right? I expect this to happen. And if it doesn't, how do I perceive it? And now how does that impact my reality? So if I'm expecting this beautiful expect, you know, wonderful scenario of having a kid, well, unfortunately by nature, you're not going to be that involved as much as your partner's going to be right. I'm not breastfeeding. Usually most times men are going back to work pretty quickly. There's not a lot of paternity in America, maternity leave. And if it is, it's only very high paid jobs where you could do that and afford to do that. And there's just like a lot of disconnect in the beginning and the roles are changing and everything's being all shifted and it changes your life in a way that you thought you knew, but you never really expected. And I think with postpartum for any, either one, because there's research on postpartum anxiety and depression in men by Dr. Cassidy Friedis. Awesome. If you haven't had her show, she's a a powerhouse of a therapist and awesome talk about uh, postpartum. It's the idea of, I'm not used to this. My life has changed. How do I adjust? And that adjustment period is the postpartum. It's the getting used to the new reality. And that takes time. The same thing happens to us when we move, when we get a new job, when we get into a new relationship, you know, or a pet. Right, we have to adjust to the struggle that is that new reality. And I think the problem with men is that they don't ask for help, they don't talk about it, and they don't talk to each other. You know, when my wife was going through, we went through infertility. When my wife was going through infertility, and when the beginnings of you know child, you know childbearing and and taking care of our beautiful children, her friends were pregnant. You know, her her best friends had just had kids. Her mom, right my mom, my sister, her, my sister-in-law, right? There was like this cohort of, of built in women to say, Hey, how did you deal with this? Oh, my baby's crying this way. What did you experience? You know, breastfeeding, bedtime, bath time, toys, and you know, all the things. And guys are like, this sucks. Right. And they're like, how you doing? I'm good. You know, like and everyone's just so not vulnerable and don't rely on each other or utilize the community that's built in cuz every father has experiences so share it with each other but no one does
1: why so i,
2: I it's i think there's a few reasons and I, and i and this is not this is not toxic masculinity it has nothing to do with that it has to do with the idea of the fear of vulnerability i think it is is it is innate in men to feel weak when they share and show emotion I don't know about you, and I hope I can be crass for a second. I'm not trying to be not PC, but just be real. When I was growing up in the, in the, the nineties, having emotion, you were called gay or you were a girl, right? It was demeaning and diminishing of an emotion. When in reality, being a woman and being gay, there's nothing wrong with that. But at that time, it was like, Oh my gosh, I'm less than, right? So it just gets built into the system of how we feel about sharing that if I show a real emotion that is so valid, even extreme joy, it's like, dude, calm down. Keep your cool, like, you know, relax is something to look at as weird or off or, or not balanced or centered to what is quote unquote accepted as a man. Right. And then on top of it, there is, I think, a beautiful thing that men do that hurts them in the end is that I have to be good for my people. So if I'm strong and I can protect them by making sure they're okay, who cares where I'm at? They're okay. And that's my role is to make sure that my wife, my partner, my kids, my parents, that everyone's good. And I'll take the burden on my shoulders. Like I'll carry that. But (laughs) we see recently we can't. The burden gets too heavy a lot of times, and we don't, then don't know how to deal with it, and that's the struggle that happens with a lot of men.
1: Eli, that was an incredible answer, and and that was sort of like where I was hoping that you were going with it, because it's not necessarily toxic masculinity. It does happen to to be, you know, all part of our social constructs, so to speak, right? But I think that's when we really need to like look in deeper and say, like, how can we get these men, these fathers, into therapy who otherwise would say, no, 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 I'm fine. Everything's good. Everything's good. And then maybe they're engaging in behaviors that would say otherwise, whether it's alcoholism or gambling. I don't know. There's probably all kinds of vices I could think of that people maybe are sort of hiding that pain in.
2: You're only saying that because I live in Vegas. That's why you're saying the Stanley oh, piece. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I don't no. know. I'm
1: in New Jersey, and we have <laughs> Atlantic City. Not that anyone goes there, but we still have it.
2: <laughs> no, but I think where you see like that energy come out is in sports. Mm. So of course, not all guys are into sports. I'm not. I'm trying to. Make, I'm not make, trying to make a generalization, but I was recently at a hockey game with my wife. I'm a huge New York Islander fan, and they came to Vegas to play the Vegas Golden Knights. And the intensity and the aggression of these men towards me because my team was winning when it has nothing to do with me. I'm not playing. I wish I was a player. I wish I was part of the team. I would never play. I was a bench player in high school. I'm probably going to be a bench player in, in an NHL. The intensity aggression just comes out like so readily, so easy. We got booed. We got yelled at. We got someone like we just so much. It just it's all there. It's all pent up. It's an expression of stress. It's an expression of I'm overwhelmed. But like, even without that, if you watch dads and they have a short fuse, it's a symptom that they're not doing okay, right? The grumpiness, the aggression, the intensity, the gro- you know that, you know, growling all the time it's a sign that something might not be okay. Now it might be their baseline, right? If that's who they have always been, okay, that's how they've always been. But if they're different, right, they're not themselves. The hardest part I have found is convincing someone that they're not okay and that they need to get help because we cannot force someone to get help. All we could do is say, hey, I care about you. Are you okay? What can I do to help? What do you need? I remember the first year of my daughter's life, my wife and I were like at each other's throats all the time, just sassy, nipping, you know, just commentary and just like that, you know, yakking all the time about ridiculous things because we didn't know how to say, Hey, here's what I need. What do you need? How can I help you? What can you help with me? Right. We've learned a lot communication wise to do that, but people are not taught that to ask for their needs, to ask for their wants, to get their needs met. And I think there is just this mentality of like, I'm going to put my head down, get the work done, and tomorrow's another day, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And we see so often that one of the highest rates of suicide is in men. Ages, I think the numbers now are statistically, I think ages 30 to 45, and really the numbers are more white males, but it's any male, is one of the leading causes of, de- of death, like daily, people are killing themselves because they just don't know how to handle their stuff. They're just so afraid to ask. They're so they're so afraid to be judged. They're so afraid to be shamed for having human thoughts and feelings. So I'd rather hide it and take my life. Now I know I'm simplifying it on an extreme level than ask for help. And maybe someone hear me, listen to me or say something to me.
1: This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Stylebox. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Stylebox is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. Yeah, it seemed that during the pandemic, I was just hearing story after story of people who were dying by suicide. I know a family in town that happened to the father and he, you know, he was like a 55 year old man. He had had kids in college and going off to college. We had a very close personal friend of ours who turned 40 the summer of 2020. And three weeks later he died by suicide in a very violent way on his parents' front yard and it was heartbreaking and it still is heartbreaking. I have chills even just thinking about this because we loved him so much and we still do. And I wish he would have gotten help, you know, and and I wish that he didn't have access to guns and I wish that, you know, he could have spoken up earlier or someone in his family could have, Persuaded him to get the help that he needs, but you know, here we are now, a few years later. But I think it's important that we talk about this. And, and you know, recently in the news, Stephen Twitch boss died in in a by suicide in a similar manner, and it's you know that shook Hollywood. That shook, I think, people to the core because Twitch uh, on the surface was so seemingly happy. He was a light, and and he was. You know, the best thing about the Ellen DeGeneres show, if you watch that. He was the best thing about So You Think You Could Dance. He was the best thing about so many things. And even he struggled. And even he succumbed to it at the end. So what are your thoughts on
2: that? I was really out of it on that day. And it's interesting because I don't know him, right? And most of us don't know him. Majority of the world does not know him. But you're right. There was this, this energy to him that was magnetic and happy and joyous. And, you know, that week I was speaking to a client of mine who two of his friends also took their life by suicide within a week, the same week. It just shows you. Now, the thing I want to give perspective to people who are listening to this, who might not understand suicide, we will never know what was going through his head. But clearly it was painful and extreme suffering that I feel bad for him that he had to go through that, that pain. Like I feel terrible for his family, of course, but I feel terrible for the men and the women who kill themselves through suicide and take their life is, is the suffering that they are going through to the point where they think there and feel there's nothing left in the world for them. There's no place. There's no, there's no moment. There's no person. That is such a heavy, you know, burden to carry. And I think that when we feel hopeless and we feel despair, we think that there's nothing else left. And the truth is, and I'm not here to kind of, you know, you know, throw rhetoric and, you know, quotes out there. There's pain. No one's saying the pain goes away because you matter, but you do matter to one person whoever it is in your life, whether it's a mom, a dad, your kids, your partners, your friends, or someone who cares about you. And that's not going to take away your pain. But it doesn't mean that you don't matter to somebody. And I think that people are so afraid to share the darkness. But the truth is, everyone's got the darkness. Everyone's got darkness on some day. Everyone has had that thought, if only I could disappear, if only I can get away if only I can take a vacation and get away from my family It's just so hard. If only I can go stop going to work and just be. Wait, we've all had dark nights and very hard places. So you're not alone in the darkness. But you need someone to hold your hand to show you just a glimmer of light. And I think people are afraid to have their hand held in the darkness. Either they don't want to burden someone or take someone into that place. Or they're afraid to be honest with their feelings because saying it out loud to another person takes so much courage. When I have a man come to me in therapy and say, I'm suffering that moves me just as much as it moves a woman saying, Hey, I'm struggling. I'm suffering because as a human to, to to open up to say, Hey, I'm not doing well. That's the most courageous thing you can do because you're breaking down all your fences, all your armor and you're looking at someone saying, hey, I'm not okay. I remember when I was at my lowest with the panic attack, I remember vividly being on the floor, curled up in a ball, pulling my hair out, like just my body was like on edge. I felt my skin crawling. It was terrible. My wife came out in the morning because I wasn't in bed and she went, are you okay? And I'm like, I need help. I'm not doing okay. That was the hardest thing I could have ever said to another person. Because it, it admits that you can't do it yourself and we've been taught. Do things yourself, right? Fight hard, work hard, get things done. You have the power. You have the power, but a lot of times we don't. And when we reach out, you would be surprised how people are willing to help us. It's, it's a beautiful thing when we can reach out. So many people are ready with their hands, ready to hold you if you just reach out. And again, for anyone who's listening who they think their people are suffering, all you could do is show compassion and love that you are there ready with your hand they have to grab it. You can't do anything more than that. And that's the hard part is saying, I'm here for you and waiting.
1: So often on this show, we talk about breaking generational cycles. And again, this is a show that tends to speak about women's issues. And so it's women breaking generational cycles, but we don't talk enough about men trying to break the generational cycles that they endured in their life, whether it's the going back to what you said earlier, the grumpy father or the short fused father. And and I, can you talk a little bit about breaking generational cycles for men and how that relates to therapy?
2: Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of cool research that's coming out recently in the past 5-10 years about the idea of breaking trauma cycles and how trauma can be passed through generations. Whether for my family, you know, the holocaust trauma and what that means or oppressive times or even just someone being poor when they were, you know, years before and their view on money, society and people and the messages that's being sent through the family, right? But I know for me personally, my father's a very quiet man. Not very emotive with his emotions, but he's got them. And I know he's got them because He snaps, gets angry, frustrated, annoyed, you know, a little sassy. When I get that way, I go, oh, I can't, I can't be like that. I gotta, I gotta work better. I gotta work better and harder because that's not helping anyone. Right. We all have that experience where our relationship with our parents and their relationship with their parents trickles down to us. The first thing we got to do is be aware of what that trickle down effect is. Is it something that we, that's a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a protective thing? Or is it a destructive thing? Because sometimes the things being passed down are for protection, to protect ourselves from others. And sometimes it can be very destructive how we relate to others or how we treat others or how we deal with others, right? So it really has to do with awareness. And one of the secrets of therapy is not that I have a magic wand, that I know every thought that you have or understand every human and every scenario and have an answer to everything because I don't. But I'm objective. I'm not in your life. I'm not in your head. I'm not in your relationships. I'm not in your family. So when you talk to me, I am trained to listen, observe, and make points that you might not see to help you become aware. Because a lot of times it's very hard for us to become aware of our own stuff because we're so in it. So it is so important for, you know, you always hear from women, like, I'm not going to be like my mom right? I'm not going to raise my kids like my mom raised me. Well, men feel the same way about their moms and dads, right? Because no one's perfect. And I will say this, it's not our parents' faults most of the time. They had a lack of education on parenting that we now have so much access to so much research and so many beautiful books and, 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 and amazing therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and, and mental health professionals, and just experiential moms and dads who are teaching and educating. They didn't have that at their fingertips. It was just stories where what worked and what didn't work. So I think we also need to be compassionate to the mistakes they made and how they did things, but also remember that we can change it. It's in our power to learn differently and raise our kids for the better. And that's the beautiful power of, of uh, where we're at, you know?
1: And that's why we're here today. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about. Amen. Yeah. What is your biggest takeaway
2: from life?
1: (laughs) I guess that could be a lot of different things, right? (laughs) (laughs) What is your biggest takeaway for my listeners right now?
2: I think the biggest thing is that we need to first be compassionate with ourselves, to give ourselves the grace to feel and be how we can be that day. We are not looking to be our best. It's impossible. So let's stop trying so hard to be the best, to be the greatest, to be the perfect. As parents, we need to be more compassionate. If our kids are alive, happy, fed, and okay, we are damn successful as parents. So stop trying to have the perfect gifts and the perfect holidays and the and the perfect adventures and the perfect home and the, and the perfect cooked meals. Do your best because that's all you can do. And if some days that's your 50%, that's amazing. And if some days it's, a, it's 80%, that's amazing. That's the first. And the second thing is, please communicate with your partner your needs and wants so that you can be a team. Be a team. Like if I am not doing okay and I ask my wife, hey, I need to go to the gym. Do you got the kids? Yes, I got the kids. And another day she'll ask me to get the kids so she can take care of herself, right? Give and take. This is not a game of, well, you got that, so I get this. No. Who needs the help today? This is not a game. This is life. The third thing I would say is just as much as we're being compassionate to ourselves and giving ourselves the grace to feel and be everything that we need to be that day, we have to do that for our partner. So that means pay attention, open your eyes, listen. and If they're struggling, ask the things I said before, are you okay? What can I do to help? What do you need? And it's on them then to take action, to take care of themselves. And just just keep going. You got it. You know, it's so hard, but it's, it's, there are so many people there to help you if you need.
1: What do you say to someone who is resistant to seek professional treatment, but you know really could benefit from it?
2: Smack him in the face. No, (laughs) What I would say is that research shows that if someone doesn't want to be there, it's not going to help. Mm. And if the therapist doesn't want to even be there, it's not going to help. You need both people to want to be there for it to actually make a difference. It's like a relationship, right? If one person's all in, the other person's like, who's this weirdo? Why am I with them, right? It's not going to work. So you need buy-in from both parties. But the research shows you really need buy-in from the client, like the person actually coming. The biggest thing is that all you can do is just suggest and say, Hey, I see you're struggling. I don't think you're doing okay. I don't think you're crazy or insane, but I think it might be time to talk to somebody. And and, and maybe it means going to couples therapy and having a person who's supportive where they, and maybe it means convincing them just to try one session with somebody, just one. And it, it could be a life changing experience. And if it's not, they tried. Also, what I would suggest is that there's not, and this might be controversial in the way of what therapists, it's not just therapists out there who can help you. Create your tribe of men, your buddies. Stop. Can I curse? Yeah, go ahead. Stop shit talking and keeping everything on the surface. Stop just talking about sports and the weather. If someone says Instead of asking, how are you doing? And getting into that stupid routine of like, I'm good. You? Yeah, I'm good. How are you feeling? Just saying, be the change. If you know someone, if you're a man listening, or you, be the change of expression. Hey, I'm really struggling today. I'm pretty stressed out. I don't know why. See how men react and read content. Justin Baldoni has a book, Man Enough, where he has a tribe where he opened up to them about his, his porn addiction And he goes once or twice a year to like a campsite with these three, four, five guys. And they just are real. They cry. They feel. They express no judgment, no hate, no shame, just expression. Just starts by talking little by little. If you're not comfortable by opening up your full heart, start with small things. Just small things. Stop passing it off and dismissing all your feelings. It's enough. It's enough because it doesn't help you and it definitely doesn't help your family if you're not okay. And that's why you're doing it, right? You're trying to protect your family. You're not protecting your family. You're hurting them. So just start small with expression. So it doesn't have to be a mental health professional. If you find a self-help person or someone on social media that gets you or a podcast that you like that really helps you feel seen and heard, keep going with that. You know, would I suggest a professional that's licensed and trained? Of course, but if it's not with any mental health professional who's trained, at least find someone who makes you feel seen and respected and isn't creating like this. There are a few self-help men's things out there that I think are unhealthy that create like the alpha beta, like men who are like strong, you know, hear me roar kind of thing. Don't go for that. That's crap and it's garbage and it's not going to help you. And I really hope those people stop doing what they're doing, but they don't. But there's ways to find help. It doesn't have to be in an office with a therapist or a shrink asking you how it makes you feel. I promise.
1: You're amazing. Tell everyone where we can find you online.
2: Uh, I got a website, ellieweinstein, lcsw.com. My Instagram, Ellie Weinstein underscore lcsw, the Dude Therapist Podcast, which is not just for dudes. I just happened to be a dude who was a therapist and I thought it was a catchy name where I talked to a lot of amazing people like Tara who's going to come on the show and really just opening up eyes to real honest conversations about mental health relationships and parenting and uh, reach out. if you, If I can help, let me know. If I can't, I hope to help find someone who can, but please don't be afraid to reach out. That's the first step. Just reach out to somebody.
0: Thank
1: you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another Modern Mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you can head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow Or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.